It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello, global community of Little Woman fans. Welcome to the Little Woman podcast. Today's common shout-out goes to Ghost of a Snowfield, who writes... For the life of me, I have never understood criticism of Amy March for marrying Laurie. People say she betrayed Joe and it was such an uncool thing to do as if Joe didn't reject him and not feel an ounce of romantic love for him. There is no betrayal if he and Joe were friends and she never wanted him. Explanation point. End quote. And then that scarlet flycatcher has pointed out. Hashtag. In the 2019 movie, when Joe, quote, forgives her, it's like, what did she have to be forgiven for? End quote. It's like what Christina said in our 2019 Little Woman roast. Greta Gerwig wants Joe to be the hero, but she also constantly wants her to suffer. But Book Joe never suffers from Amy marrying Laurie because she wants Laurie back like she does in the... 2019 film, Joe envies Amy because Amy is happily married and Joe is lonely and wants a romantic partner. That is what is written to the pages of Little Woman. Cinema and I continue to analyze the chapter surprises and we are getting to the part where Laurie and Amy have returned back to Concord and Laurie tells Joe that he and Amy are now married and like Ghost of a Snowfield pointed out This is something that Joe is not angry or sad about. She's actually very, very happy for them. What Joe is sad about is that she's lonely. She doesn't envy Amy for Laurie. She envies Amy in general because Amy is happily married. Joe also envies Meg for having someone. And there is a part in this chapter where Joe is actually looking at Meg with a baby. And she grieves that she cannot ever experience that herself. If you guys ever read Caroline Dickner's biography of May Alcott, The Real Life Amy, there are Louisa May Alcott's diary markings in that book where she writes how she envied her sister's marriages and how very lonely she was. And Joe gets her happy ending because Joe is missing Frederick and he comes back to her. And then in the chapter Under the Umbrella, Joe even says that He came back to her when she needed him the most. There is also a very important feminist message in this chapter because Laurie actually apologizes Joe to that he pressured her to marry him and harassed her. The only adaptation that I can think of that includes Laurie's apology is the 1970 BBC Little Woman, but it is not in any of the movies. What is also interesting to me in This chapter is how Laurie speaks about Amy. He cannot really hide how proud he is of her and how Amy makes him very happy. And season one of the Little Woman podcast has also appeared as an audiobook. You can find the link in the description. You can also follow me on Instagram at podcastinglittlewoman. My guest is Sinem 
and she's a long time Little Woman fan, and she's also very knowledgeable about Henry David Thoreau, and we shall be discussing about Henry and Louis's very interesting relationship as well. Cinema and I met on Instagram a couple of years ago, and she always has very good insights about Little Woman, and I hope you enjoy our discussion. This is Small Umbrella in the Rain, the Little Woman podcast, Laurie's apology to Joe, and the rejected suitors in all the novels. The bright-eyed girls are quick to see such traits, and we, like you, are the better for them. And if that, almost the only power that can part mother and son, should rob you of yours, you will be sure to find a tender, welcome, and maternal cherishing from some Aunt Priscilla who has kept the warmest corner of her lonely old heart for the best navy in the world. So here we can also see Louisa May Alcott's maternal nature, that even though she is this Aunt Priscilla, she still has love for all these lost boys. This made me think how Louisa May Alcott gave lots of money to help different orphan houses. It's the same how Jo starts her life with, with Plumfield, that even if you are a spinster and you don't get your own children or find a partner, you can still use your time wisely by doing what you love. For Louisa May Alcott, it was to help children and start, in a way, start her own family that way. Jo must have fallen asleep as I dare say, my reader, as during this little homely, for suddenly, Laurie's ghost seems to stand before her, a substantial, lifelike ghost leaning over her with the very look he used to wear when he felt a good deal and didn't like to show it, but like Jenny in the ballad. She could not think it he, and lay staring up at him in startled silence till he stooped and kissed her. Then she knew him and flew up crying joyfully, Oh, my Teddy, oh, my Teddy. Dear Joe, you are glad to see me, then. Glad, my blessed boy. Words can express my gladness. Where is Amy? Your mother has got her, down at Meg's. We stopped there, by the way, and there was no getting my wife out of their clutches. You what? cried Joe, for Laurie uttered those words with an unconscious pride and satisfaction which betrayed him. Oh, the Dickens, now I've done it. And he looked so guilty that Joe was down upon him like a flash. You've gone and got married. Yes, please, but I never will again. And he went down upon his knees with a penitent clasping of hands and face full of mischief, mirth and triumph. Actually married. Very much. Thank you. Mercy on us. What dreadful thing will you do next? And Joe fell into her seat with a gasp. A characteristic but not exactly complimentary congratulation, returned Laurie, still in an abject attitude, but beaming with satisfaction. This reminds me how somebody commented on Tumble, that in the 1994 film, they liked that how proud Laurie was to introduce Amy as his wife. What can you expect when you take one's breath away, creeping in like a burglar? and letting cats out of bags like that. Get up, you ridiculous boy, and tell me all about it. Not a word. Unless you let me come in my 
old place and promised not to barricade. Jo laughed at that, as she had not done for many a long day, and patted the sofa inviting me, as she said in a cordial tone, The old pillow is up garret, and we don't need it now, so come on fast, Teddy. How good it sounds to hear you say Teddy. No one ever calls me that but you. Lori sat down with an air of great content. What does Amy call you? My lord, that's like her. Well, you look it. And Joe's eyes plainly betrayed that she found her boy calmer than ever. The pearl was gone, but there was a barricade, nevertheless, a natural one, raised by time, absence, and change of heart. Both felt it, and for a minute looked at one another as if an invisible barrier cast a shadow over them. It was gone directly. However, for Laurie said with a vain attempt at dignity, Don't I look like a married man and the head of a family? Not a bit, and you never will. You've grown bigger and bonnier, but you're the same scapegrace as ever. Now, really, Joe, you ought to treat me with more respect, began Laurie, who enjoyed it all immensely. How can I, when the mere idea of youth, married and settled, is so irresistibly funny that I can't keep sober, answered Joe, smiling all over her face. So infectiously that they had another laugh, and then settled down for a good talk, quiet in a pleasant old fashion. It's no use your going out in the cold to get Amy, for they all for they are all coming up presently. I couldn't wait. I wanted to be the one to tell you the grand surprise, and have first skim, as you used to say when we scrabbled about the cream. Of course you did, and spoiled your story by beginning at the wrong end. Now, start right and tell me how it all happened. I'm penny to know. Well, I did it to please Amy, again Laurie, with a twinkle that made Joe exclaim, Tip number one, Amy did it to please you. Go on and tell the truth if you can, sir. Now she's beginning to marmot. Isn't it? Joe, did you hear her? Said Laurie, through the fire, and fire glowed and sparkled as if it quite agreed. It's all the same, you know, she and I being one. We planned to come home to Carol's a month or more ago, but they suddenly changed their minds and decided to pass another winter in Paris. But Grandpa wanted to get home. He went to please me, and I couldn't let him go alone. Neither could I leave Amy, and Mrs. Carroll had got English notions about chaperones and such nonsense, and wouldn't let Amy come with us. So I just said settles the difficulty by saying let's get be married and then we can do as we like so they did elope yes it's quite sweet I, yeah and I also have to say I like how bright fully Laurie talks when he's talking that Amy is his wife it's funny it is he's very proud of her I think yeah. Laurie was always that kind of person that he wanted to be married but it's also because he was orphan and he grew up without a family. And I also have to say, again, in this chapter, we also learned that he's very proud of her because I think he taught her a bit of piano playing or something like that. Mm. It's just a very sweet relationship. But I also have to say, I love it that Laurie talks also in a very good manner to Joe. Like, he, he, for me, he talks respectfully to her now and not like in a disrespectful tone. It is very different tone than in some of the earlier chapters. But yes. it shows how much he has grown as a person. Definitely. Of course you did.
You always have things to suit you. Not always. And something Laurie's voice made Joe say hastily. How did you ever get Anne to agree? It was hard work between us. We talked her over, for we had heaps of good reasons on our side. There wasn't time to write and ask leave, but you all liked it and had consented to it by and by. And it was only taking time by the fetlock, as my wife says. Aren't we proud of those two words, and don't we like to say them? Interrupted Joe, addressing the fire in her turn, and watching with delight the, ha the happy light it seemed to kindle in the eyes that had been so tragically gloomy when she saw them last. A trifle, perhaps. She's such a captivating little woman. I can't help being proud of her. Well, then, uncle and aunt were there to play propriety. We were so absorbed in one another. We were of no mortal use apart. And that charming arrangement would make everything easy all around. So we did it. When? Where? How? asked Joe, in a fever of feminine interest and curiosity, for she could not realize it a particle. Six weeks ago at the American consuls in Paris. A very quiet wedding, of course, for even in our happiness we didn't forget dear little bet. Joe put her hand in his as he said that, and Laurie gently smoothed the little red pillow, which he remembered well. Why didn't you let us know afterward? asked Joe in a quieter tone, when they had a sat quite still a minute. We wanted to surprise you. We thought we were coming directly home at first, but the dear old gentleman, as soon as we were married, found he couldn't be ready under a month, at least, and send us off to spend our honeymoon wherever we liked. Amy had once got Valrosa a regular honeymoon home, so we went there, and were as happy as people are but once in their lives. My fate wasn't it love among the roses. I think this is interesting because... There's this moment. Of course you did. You always have things to suit you. And he says, not always. I heard people saying that, oh, this is why, because Laurie is still in love with Joe. But then we have all these moments when he speaks about his romantic moments with Amy. So this is very confusing to a lot of people. I was thinking how interesting it is how Louisa May Alcott always tends to sort of includes herself in her novels to be part of a triangle. Because even in Moods, that was before she met Lady Wisniewski when she wrote it, there is this archetype that is based on Henry David Thoreau and another one that is based on Emerson that are kind of fighting, fighting over her. So I think it's interesting how she just keeps repeating this similar plotline of herself being in a triangle. Yeah, I have to say, and when not always, in... Privately, he, I think he kind of thanked Joe in his mind for that because I think had he married Joe, I don't think he would have been happy at all because he would not have grown up and people need to grow up. And Lori needed that as well. And with Amy, he did grow up indeed. Yes, I agree. I think that's where we get into this problem that we have with Lori's character because he's never really shown to grow up in the adaptations when he clearly grows up in this novel. I was reading Undine and Sintram, and even that book has this triangle with 
sort of a Louisa May Alcott <laughs> archetype. In Rose in Bloom, we have Rose and then Mac and Charlie. And then in work, we have David and Fletcher and Christie. But I think at the time period when this book was written, it was actually very romantic uh, to have these sort of triangles in a lot of these uh, stories because Goethe has many triangles in his books. It's funny that Louisa Malcolm makes her main heroine always end up with the more mature person. Exactly. And, and the other person either finds another person like Laurie or they just they just stay their friends or they die like Charlie, which is kind of sad, but I, I like I wonder how he, Charlie would have improved if he had stayed alive, but I also think it was important that Louisa Malcolm did have him die, not because that was the only way for Meg and Rose to be together, but because it showed that everything has its consequences. And Charlie, I think he was very a very alcoholic person or something like that. I can't remember it quite right now, but I think it's very important because it showed that she wasn't just some writer who like only made sunshiny tales because that's the reality in reality if for example you drink too many alcohol or something it has consequences yeah he had a big drinking problem and i don't think even if rose would have had a better impact on him that he would stop drinking i think rose would have still end up with mac because mac is mac is the Frederick archetype yeah definitely it's important to know these things because people are so obsessed with Joe and Laurie that during this time period, uh, Laurie's character, I believe, is very much based on Wilhelm Meister. And in Wilhelm Meister, we have Natalia and Mariana. And Wilhelm falls in love with Natalia, who is the Amy archetype. And Louisa May Alcott has this note when... Wilhelm falls in love with Natalia. He, he grows from a boy to be a man. And that is exactly what happens to Laurie. There never really was an alternative to this because if Laurie would have ended up with Joe, like you said, he would have been miserable because he would have stayed in that childlike state because Joe was always the mother for him. Whether a date night or family holiday outing, Meadowlark's Winter Walk of Lights is the perfect way to experience the magic of the holidays. The half-mile walk through Vienna's enchanting Meadowlark Botanical Gardens features lighted nature themes and sparkling displays. Get your tickets now at winterwalkoflights.com. Extend your holiday season and beat the rush with a weeknight visit in November or early December. Plan your visit and buy tickets at winterwalkoflights.com. That's winterwalkoflights.com. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. USAA. Restrictions apply. And she also kind of said, if you don't want these two to end up together, because who would want to marry somebody they have, like, a maternal or parent-like relationship to? Of course, in relationships, I'm pretty sure people do quarrel. I have never been in one, so I cannot say it. But the thing is, quarrels are, of course, part of it. But the problem I also see with the Joe Laurie pairing is that their quarrels have been 
very harmful both these characters. They would not have, like, they would have harmed these two pretty much. And I don't think, like, like I said, girls are, of course, important and they might help people to overcome what they have. But the thing is that with Joe and Laurie, it would have made each of them much more miserable and they would have clashed, clashed even more because of these quarrels. Yeah, the problem was also because even here, when Laurie speaks about Amy, it's really hard to imagine that he would say the same things about Joe, about these moments among roses in, well, Rosa. Yeah, that's true. I don't think he ever could talk about Joe like that, because Joe, when he proposed proposed to her, she was more like an ideal and not like a real person to him. We can definitely see that in the Vienna chapter when he imagines the dream woman that he is going to court everywhere. And to me, it's always so funny because I think it's something like something that you might do when you are like a 15 year old and imagine that you are dating a singer or a boy band character or a person who doesn't exist. And you just create this fantasy. And when Laurie does that, he's like 23, 22 years old. And you would think that he would be more of an adult at that age, but he isn't until he starts to remember things that Amy said to him of being lazy and, you know. People like Laurie because he tends to be this dreamy-looking guy. These dreams that he has, they are not at all realistic. And I think it's part of the problem is that he has been sort of given everything. But then he also seems very miserable because he doesn't have that family unit. Yeah, and I also think just because he's more conventionally good-looking, people also are like Joe and Laurie should have together because they imagine Joe to be also conventionally good-looking, which is actually Amy and Meg are conventionally good-looking. But in this chapter, like, uh, the passage was that our external appearances are that, that they all, in the end, pass away and that only, like, true love and the... Uh, soul kind of things are the things that stay when when the pe- person gets old. Yes, that's also... It again shows that for Laurie it should not have mattered, but it should have mattered how his character is. Because I think many people are like this when a person looks good, kind of. That they just gloss over the fact that this person may not be such a good person as in fact of behaving or something like that. Yeah, I haven't read the Louis Amelgo thriller. What was the name of it? Love Chase. Dangerous Love Chase. Doesn't it have that kind of plot? That there is this conventionally good-looking guy that doesn't turn out to be that great? Yeah, it's, it's kind of also a stalker story. And like I said, it's, it's a thriller, so... What I like about it is that it shows that men can be creepy. <laughs> I think Philip Tempest was conventionally good-looking, I do not remember it, but it, again, in Philip I see, like, Laurie, but not more like an adult, and with other, I mean, the fact that Laurie is pretty much spoiled and acts like a child, and for Father Ignatius, which is the freakish archetype, I kind of really see freakish in him, 
like I said, but I still prefer Friedrich as a character because you get to see Friedrich much more, and I just love that. That is true. Charlie in Rosenblum was also very conventionally good-looking character. That when Mac was kind of described to be be choppy and have glasses and more like Friedrich. Then Charlie is described to be very handsome and very rich, like both Mac and Charlie are rich. But like Charlie is the conventionally good-looking character, but he's also the one with the addiction. He has this element of sadness in him. I've heard people who really said, oh, they wanted Charlie and Rose to be together. When I talk to them, it always feels like they wanted them to be together because they found Charlie a lot more attractive than Mac physically. So I think you are right when you say maybe find Laurie more dreamy and sort of this fantasy because they think that Laurie is attractive. I actually know that men use glasses because I think people with glasses in general aren't really represented correctly. As someone who wears glasses, I always think it is odd that in many movie scenes or something, there's a makeover like Rose and Mac also gets one. <laughs> but then Rose, I think Rose didn't like it. And Mac himself also didn't like it. And it kind of critiques also the fact that just because a person has this kind doesn't mean that he doesn't wear glasses or doesn't look like, I don't know, a, a man for, from a magazine which has tons of Photoshop or something. I actually talked about it this with my mom some time ago that actually it's thanks to Harry Potter that people are way more acceptable to, to those who wear glasses. I'm not a huge fan of J.K. Rowling at the moment, but I, I appreciate that and I think it's true. Yeah, yeah. I, right now, her statements on herself are kind of a bit weird, but I, I like the fact that she included people with glasses and all that stuff. And yeah, that, that was nice. That's something we can appreciate. I myself wear reading glasses, but I can't say I have seen lots of, like, big Hollywood movies where the romantic lead wears glasses. Yeah, me neither. With the makeover, they just switch to contact lenses, and yeah, I can't wear contact lenses because they hurt my eyes. I would like to see more people with glasses in movies. You're correct. Yeah. Also, like I said, want to be reprinted like um, okay it's not like I can't see without my glasses but there are sure people who cannot see without their glasses mm. and it's also kind of insulting I'm pretty sure for them because it's like who needs to have glasses when you can look conventionally good looking and that is everybody's dream like that's so true mm. I always wondered why Rose in Bloom has not been adapted because it's such a good story and it's, I think, together with Little Woman, it's probably Louisa May Alcott's most famous book, money-wise. It has been sold a lot. I've heard some people saying that it's because Mac and Rose are cousins, but I think for modern adaptations, they can go around that somehow, like Rose can be adopted or Mac could be adopted or... Maybe they are not relatives, maybe they are just come from family that are close. Or, like, for example, the kind of cousins that, like, maybe, I don't know, they don't have any blood cousins. And mm. I have to say, it's okay, I come from a country where cousins 
marriages is not seen as a bad thing. I don't know how I see it, but but I most likely wouldn't want to Somebody said that, well, it was very common in the 19th century, so maybe it should not be changed. I don't know. I, I would like to see Rose and Bloom adapted. I don't care how they're cousins or if they are not cousins. But of course, it was very common in the 19th century because, you know, Rose and Bloom, it takes place in a very high society. Like Rose is from a very rich family and Mac and Charlie are from rich families and their fathers are brothers. They want to give the money in the family. So that's why Rose really have to choose between these two cousins. Yes, I think if you explain that well in the movie or in a TV series, people would understand that. In general, like, say love has no boundaries. Like I said, I cannot know it. But I would say as long as two people respect and love each other, and as long as they feel comfortable together, Yeah, I, I don't know enough about this topic. I do know that in 18th century, it was very common in Finland to marry your cousins, but not now. And obviously in 19th century America as well. I think in Turkey maybe a bit. I do have a neighbor here, and she was, she was married to a cousin, but not because she loved him. It was, I think, an arranged marriage, and I hate arranged marriages. But that, that, that is an example I have, but they are no longer together. So I don't know whether it counts, but she still had to marry him, so I guess it counts. Well, that's a bit like the Rose in Bloom situation, because Rose was expected to marry someone rich, even if she would not marry her cousins. But I'm glad she married Mac, because that was Otto's intention all along. <laughs> yes, I also have to say I love their relationship. Also love the girl that Meg adopted, kind of. It was also very sweet. It was another one of those very much like a Freddy Bear moments because you can see that Mac was this person who really wanted to start a family, and then Rose, she was like a baby crazy as soon as she saw him with the child, and it's kind of same with Joe and Freddy. Yes, and I also think it's a positive representation. Also, one children and a family as much as women, because I have to say in some series it's like the woman doesn't want children and the man forces her. But th this isn't the case in Louise My Alcott's uh, stories at all. Like all the characters who like have a family of their own, the child is a want of both parties. It's also very positive because it again shows her being feminist because men and women should be equal and they should have equal wants and needs and that is important. And I don't think there are enough men 
in pop culture that are really shown to be this way, that they are these good father figures. Yeah, I think tender men in general in pop culture or something or in movies, they are most likely friend zone. And then by the main character and then they do get together but I think it is kind of harmful to portray, that, to portray them as always like kind of more like the second choice as mm -hmm. I call it and uh, that's why I, in my, one of my novels I do have many but the one I write right now I have the main character sort interest to be a, te a very tender person he is very emotional and he's also very open with the fact that he's emotional he isn't ashamed of it like i try to write characters like that because they are important and they are part of our environment and it's really harmful the way men are taught not to show emotions or not to cry it's a yes. It leads in all kinds of problems, and it's the same with women because we are also taught not to show emotion and not to cry, or or we are being told that it's it's weakness. We just talked about the way Joe behaves like this. I think both Laurie and Frederick are actually more emotional compared to Joe, at least in the beginning, because they are way more open to express their uh, feelings. And in some chapter. Before this, when Laurie is trying to flirt with Joe and Joe is like, don't, puts, puts literally the pillow between them. There are some moments when Laurie is like annoyed with Joe. I think he says that you bottle up your feelings, you don't show emotion. He was right. Like Joe thinks that being this emotional, vulnerable person makes her weak. Yeah. And we see that also in this chapter that we are reading here. I think Beth's dad also had a big part on that because I always think that Beth is almost like a female Frederick because Beth, she has such an empathic worldview. So being with Beth always brings out Joe's softer side or that she's reminded to feel more empathy towards others. It's okay to show more emotion. Yeah, to forget Joe for a minute. And Joe was glad of it for the fact that he told her all, all these things so free and naturally, assured her that he had quite forgiven and forgotten. She tried to draw away her hand, but as if he guessed the thought that prompted the half involuntary impulse, Lori held it fast and said with her manly, gra manly gravity she had never seen in him before, Joe, dear, I want to say one thing and then we'll put it by forever. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As I told you in my letter when I wrote that Amy had been so kind to me, I shall never stop loving you. But the love is altered, and I have learned to see that it is better as it is. Amy and you change places in my heart. That's all. I think it was all meant to be so, and would have come out naturally if I had waited, as you tried to make me, but I never could be patient, and so I got a heartache. I was a boy then, headstrong and violent. It took a hard lesson to show me my mistake, for it was one, Joe, as you said, and I found it out after making a fool of myself. Upon my word, I was so tumbled up in my mind at one time that I didn't know which I loved best, you or Amy. I tried to love both alike, and I couldn't. When I saw her in Switzerland, everything seemed to clear up all at once. We both got into your right places, and I felt sure that it, that it was well off with the old love, before it was almost a new, that I could honestly share my heart with, between Sister Joe and wife Amy, and love them both dearly. Will you believe it, and go back to the happy old times so you trust me one another? I believe it. With all my heart, but Teddy, we never can be boy and girl again. The happy old times can't come back, and we must expect it. We are man and woman now, with sober work to do, for playtime is over, and we must give up frolicking. I'm sure you feel this. I see the change in you, and you'll find it in me. I shall miss my boy, but I shall love the man as much, and admire him the more, because he means to be what I hoped he would. He can't be the playmate any longer. But we will be brother and sister, to love and help one another all our lives, won't we, Lori? He did not say a word, but took the hand she offered him, and laid his face down on it for a minute, feeling that out of the grave of a boyish passion, they had risen a beautiful, strong friendship to bless them both. Presently, Joe said cheerfully, for she didn't want the coming home to be a sad one. I can't make it true that your children are really married and going to set up housekeeping. Why, it seems only yesterday that I was buttoning Amy's pinafore and pulling your hair when you teased. Mercy me, how time does fly. As one of the children is older than yourself, you needn't talk so like a grandma. I flatter myself I'm a gentleman grown, as Peggy said of David. And when you see Amy, you'll find another a precocious infant, said Laurie. Looking amused at her maternal air, you may be a little older in years, but I'm ever so much older in feeling, Teddy. Women always are. And this last year has been such a hard one that I feel 40. This reminds me in, in Little Men when there's a scene where Laurie comes to visit Joe at Plumfield and he says that he was the first boy that Joe raised. And I think there is even a moment when he calls her yeah, grandmother. Yeah, I like the way Laurie talks to Joe now. Much better than I like the way he used to talk to her. She has, first of all, now there's respect. She also kind of mocks her, like calling her grandma. But I have to say, it again showcases his growth. This really annoyed me in the 2019 film when Greta Gerwig said that Laurie wants Joe to step into adulthood. But here it is really the opposite because he kind of says, like, can we go on and be this frolicking brother and sister again? And Joe says that, no, we cannot. We are both adults now. It's also kind of weird that when I first watched 
the 29th adaptation, I kind of liked it. Went back to the book, the more I actually started to dislike it because Laurie's growth isn't there at all. And Amy has been painted as more aggressive. And the thing is, while I like Amy as a character and I like that Greta Gerwig focused on her more, I dislike that... Amy was made more aggressive because it didn't feel like the Amy I knew and loved because I also wrote to you that it's like Amy and Joe are both like water. Joe at first is the ice. She like tries to break everything to get what she wants. But Amy is like the swift river, the swift water, which like places itself and nobody notices that she has placed herself there. It's just like as if it has always been there. So I don't really like the fact that they made her more aggressive because she then kind of lost her ladylike character, which she used in manipulating the system to get it to her goal. I think they made Joe also too aggressive because of yeah. the feedback scene. She doesn't shout yeah. to Friedrich in the book that... He's a bully, <laughs> which is really weird because in the book, Joe wants Fredrik's feedback because she wants to improve as a writer. So I felt like it was sort of making fun of Joe's desire to become a writer. It's also kind of weird that they had Rose's quote. When Joe talked to Marmy, it was like a quote from Rose and Blue. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, why can't you just stick to one book, please? Because it's so weird. And I was shocked to find it in there because it actually is a completely different context in that novel. Yes. It's from the moment when uh, Rose hears her family member speaking about her future marriage, which hasn't happened yet. And she's like, she wants to marry for love and not for money. Then I hear so many people saying that, oh, they love it when Joe says that in the in the movie. And I'm like, that's not a quote that Joe says at all in the book. It's from Rose in Blue. And I have to say, I like the quote. And that's what people like, the fact that Joe says it. But the thing is, like you said, it was Rose who said that and not Joe, because Joe at that time was feeling so completely lonely. And she was like, I'm going to die all alone. And so I'll never be loved by anybody. Like, she kind of was in the in a depression-like state, if you think of it, if Friedrich and Amy and Laurie hadn't come there. Yeah, I think that is true. It reminds me that poem that Louisa May Alcott wrote, then it's repeated in Under the Umbrella, but it has been changed because it's a lot more hopeful in Under the Umbrella. And the poem that Louisa May Alcott wrote, it's about her coping with her depression, really, and yeah. it's not really that nice. children's book 
even though I read it as a child for the first time. Yeah, I also think it's a series everybody from every age can read, unless people who stay age of zero because they can't read. <laughs> in the old woman because she's so happy to see him and then she invites him in and he feels like he's come home because the family is so welcoming to him. Yeah, I think you also mentioned it earlier. He like didn't want to be burned to her, but then when she just like shovels him into the house, he feels welcome. He feels directly welcome. He's like, okay, this is my new family, kind of. He directly feels the love and the union and the compassion of everybody. I think it was one of the Alcott schoolers who I talked with. I think it was Laura Dassel-Walls. She said that she loved that the March family just adopted Frederick right away to be part of their family. Well, it's the same what they did with Laurie, actually. But it also goes along with this idea how Joe wants to 
rescue these lost boys, but then obviously Freddy is not a lost boy. Still, her fondness for boys and men in general, you can see that in Little Woman in the Way. Joe and the Marches sort of quote-unquote rescue these boys and men to be part of their family. And she smiles and feels so happy to see him. And I think that's also very cute. And it's really the same, like, when she's in New York, she cannot hide from people around her how much she admires Frederick, because I think, especially when she writes those letters to Mommy, it's all about him. She even called the letters Barry. Mommy definitely knew what was going on. Teddy. Yeah. <laughs> Children, and I also love the fact that his name is Teddy Bear. First of all, it's cute, and second of all, I also have to say about the, the fact that Miss March, that Marmy knew that Joe was in love with Swedish. I think Marmy also kind of sensed that there was something wrong to happen between Laurie and Amy as well. I don't know, but I just always had the impression that she knew that there was going to happen something between the two. People who have only watched the films probably don't know this, but in first part of Little Woman, Joe kind of wishes that uh, Laurie would marry Meg because then Laurie would be her brother. Then she mistakes that Beth is in love with Laurie when Beth gets ill. And she kind of wishes that, oh, Beth and Laurie would make a nice match. And then, then she, there's also a moment in some chapters earlier where she thinks way before she knows that Amy and Laurie are meeting together in Europe that Amy would actually make a good wife for Laurie. So she was always, always trying to pair Laurie with some of her sisters, but not to herself. Yes, it's also funny because she's like, he can be with whoever he was in love with. Just don't let it be me. She never wanted to be with him romantically because she was in love with Frederick. It also is kind of cute that she cares about her sisters in that way because, you know, like, Laurie is rich. And if one of her sisters, like Meg or Beth or Amy, which in the end did marry him, she, I think she also was like, he is rich and he can provide for my sister. Also for the family, if that is what he wants to. So a very social man. I think Mr. Bear would have gone decorously away and come again another day. But how could he, when Joe shut the door behind him and bereft him of his hat? Perhaps her face had something to do with it, or she forgot to hide her joy at seeing him and showed it with a frankness that proved irresistible to the solitary man, whose welcome far exceeded his boldest hopes. If I shall not be Monsieur de Trope, I will so gladly see you have been ill, my friend. He put the question abruptly, for as Joe hung up his coat, the light fell on her face and he saw a change in it. Not ill, but tired and sorrowful. We have had trouble since I saw you last. Oh yes, I know. My heart was sore for you when I heard that. And he shook hands again with such a sympathetic face that Joe felt as if no comfort could equal the look of her the kind eyes, the grasps of the big warm hand. Father, mother, this is my friend Professor Bear, she said, with a face and tone of such irrepressible pride and pleasure that she might as well have blown a trumpet and opened the door with a flourish. If the stranger had had any doubts about his reception, they were set at rest in a minute by the cordial welcome he received. 
everyone greeted him kindly for Cho's sake at first, but very soon they liked him for his own. They could not help it, for he carried the talisman that opens all hearts, and these simple people warmed to him at once, feeling even the more friendly because he was poor, for poverty enriches those who live above it, and is a sure passport to truly hospital spirits. Mr. Bear sat looking about him with the air of a traveller who knocks at a strange door, and when it opens, finds himself at home. The children went to him like bees to a honeypot, and establishing themselves on each knee, proceeded to captivate him by riffling his pockets, pulling his beard, and investigating his watch with juvenile audacity. The woman telegraphed their approval to one another, and Mr. March, feeling that he had got a kindred spirit, opened his choicest stores for his guest benefit. While silent, John listened and enjoyed the talk, but said not a word, and Mr. Lawrence found it impossible to go to sleep. Yes, I do love that. Joe is very proud, too. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Introduce Frederick to the family. And then when she introduces him, it's immediately clear that these two are going to have a relationship because way he introduces them. I always imagine Joe to uh, smile shyly while saying that. I also have to say, I think it's funny that it says that Mr. Lawrence actually wanted to go to sleep, but mm -hmm. now he cannot go to sleep. Yeah. Always left at that line. I think it's very sweet that John listened and also enjoyed uh, his Friedrich's talk. I think in the manuals, it is said that John was Friedrich's best friend or something. And you can also see that being established right here because he immediately enjoys Friedrich's talk. I always thought that they were good friends because I think Laurie and Friedrich were also friends. But because Laurie was so much younger and then John is closer to Friedrich's age, that would make much more sense that they good friends. Of course, Laurie and John were friends, but he would always see him also as his older teacher. But also because John knew how to speak German. He could speak German with John and with Joe in the in the family. If Joe had not been otherwise engaged, Laurie's behavior would have amused her for a faint which not of jealousy, but something like suspicion, caused the gentleman to step in the foot first but observed a newcomer with brotherly circumspection. But it did not last long. He got interested in spite of himself, and before he knew it, was drawn into the circle. For Mr. Burr, 
talked well in this genial atmosphere and did himself justice. He seldom spoke to Laurie, but he looked at him often, and a shadow would pass across his face, as if regretting his own lost youth, as he watched the young man in his prime. Then his eye would turn to Joseph wistfully, that she would have surely answered the mute inquiry if she had seen it. But Joe had her own eyes to take care of, and, feeling that they could not be trusted, she prudently kept them on the little sock she was knitting, like a model maiden aunt. Delphi danced now and then, refreshed her like sips of fresh water after a dusty walk, for sidelong peeps showed her several vicious moments. Mr. Burr's face had lost the absent-minded expression and looked all the life of interest in the present moment. Actually young and handsome, she thought, forgetting to compare him with Laurie, as she usually did strange men with a great enjoyment. Then he seemed quite inspired. Though the burial costumes of the ancients to which the conversation had strayed might not be considered an exhilarating ex topic, Joe quite glowed with triumph when Tony got quenched in an argument and thought to herself, as she watched her father's absorbed face, how he would enjoy having such a man as my professor to talk with every day. Lastly, Mr. Burr was dressed in a spandy new suit of black, which made him look more like a gentleman than ever. His bushy hair had been cut and smoothly brushed, but didn't stay in order for long. For in exciting moments, he rumpled it up the draw way he used to do, but Joe liked it definitely erect, better than flat, because she thought it gave his fine foot a Joe-like expect. Poor Joe! How did she glorify that plain man, as she sat knitting away so quietly, letting nothing escape her? Not even the fact that Mr. Burr had actually gold sleeve buttons in his immaculate wristbands. Dear old fellow, he couldn't have gone up himself with more care if he'd been going away, said Joe to herself. And then a sudden thought, born of the words, made her blush so dreadfully that she had to drop her ball and go down after her to hide her face. The manner of her did not succeed as well as he expected, however, for though just in the act of setting fire to a funeral pile, the professor dropped his torch, metaphorically speaking, and made a dive after the blue little ball. Of course, they bumped their heads smartly together, saw stars, and both came up crushed and laughing, without a ball to resume their seats, wishing they had not left them. Nobody knew where the evening went to, for Hannah skillfully abstracted the babies at an early hour. Nodding like two rosy puppies, and Mr. Lawrence went home to rest. Bella sat round the fire, talking away with the lapse of time, till Meg, whose maternal mind was impressed with her firm conviction that Daisy had tumbled out of bed, and Damien had set his nightgown of fire studying a structure of mats, made a move to go. We must have our thing in the good old way, for we are all together once more, said Joe, feeling that a good shout would be a safe and pleasant vent for the jubilant emotions of her soul. They were not all there, but no one found the words for thoughtless or untrue, for Beth seemed among them, a peaceful present, invisible but clearer than ever. Death could not break the house of leak that love made it dissolubable. The little chair stood in its old place, the tidy basket with the bit of work she left unfinished when the needle used so heavy was still on its accustomed shelf. The beloved instrument, seldom touched now, had not been moved, and above it, Beth's face, serene and smiling, as in the early days, 
looked down upon them, seeming to say, Be happy, I am here. Play something, Amy. Let them hear how much you have improved, said Laurie, with pardonable pride in his promising pupil. But Amy was spared with full eyes as she twirled the third stool. Not tonight, dear. I can't show off tonight, but she did something better than brilliancy or skill, so she sung best songs with a tender music in her voice, which the best master could not have thought, and touched the listeners' hearts with a sweeter power than any other inspiration could have given her. The room was very still, when the clear voice failed suddenly, at the last stand of Beth's favorite hymn, it was hard to say, Earth hath no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. But Amy leaned against her husband, who stood behind her, feeling that her welcome home was not perfect without death's kiss. Now we must finish with Mignon's song for Mr. Burroughs sings then, said Joe before the pause grew painful, and Mr. Burroughs cleared his throat with a grateful hymn. As he stepped into the corner where Joe stood, saying, You will sing with me. We go excellently well together. I think this is the part where Laurie is really proud of Amy's musical talents, like you said. And I also think I wrote that to you in our private chat. First, like, it doesn't go to Mr. Burr and it talks to him. I always had the feeling that he was kind of also a bit ashamed to talk to him because in his proposal he kind of insulted him. And I also like the fact that Joe was very proud when Friedrich kind of won an argument against Laurie. I think that is very funny because it shows that the pride and respect and love Joe has for Friedrich is very much different from the one she has for Laurie. I think it also shows how much Joe really has admiration for intelligence. So when Friedrich beats Laurie in a debate, to show that shows how Friedrich is this intelligent guy and speaks to her in a way that Laurie can never be because Laurie doesn't have that similar love for knowledge or education that she has. Yeah, I think it is um, that everybody kind of notices that there is something in the air because Joe is very prideful of a Mr. Burr. I, by the way, I call him Mr. Burr because, because Joe says in that it isn't bear nor beer, so I just make it boo. Instead of bear, I don't know, it's just my way of calling him that. And I also think it's very nice is how when Amy sings a song, and then her voice fails at one part, that also shows again their lovely bond they had as siblings. And I think I just spotted a kiss scene because... I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but he's, it says that Laurie feels that Amy's welcome home was not quite perfect without Beth's kiss. So I think maybe he kissed her or something oh. to make her you know, feel better. I love that. <laughs> I, you are also pronouncing Friedrich's name correctly with that German pronunciation. I don't know if it's the American or English way when I say Friedrich, but Friedrich is the original German way. Not Frederick, yeah. never Frederick, but Friedrich or Friedrich. But yeah. you, are, you are doing correctly with the German accent, which I am not so good at. Of course, I can't speak it correctly because, like I said, I do know German, so it is easy to me. I also have to say I like that Louisa Alcott had a Friedrich speak in a German accent. It's, I don't know, I think it's very sweet. And I also 
in this passage, it's very nice that they all still feel Beth's presence, that they all think that she, she's still, like, there. And it's also, again, showcases the bond Beth had with her family in general. Another thing that I really like about this passage is that Mr. Burr, Friedrich, and Mr. March, they really hit along, like, they just meet, and then they instantly have this good chemistry with each other. It is also very nice because it again showcases how Friedrich has the ability to immediately befriend people. And again, this is kind of his, well, his outgoing nature. I love this moment when Joe is like, oh, I wish father would have a person like professor to speak with him every day. And then she realizes, oh, maybe he actually came to see me, not my father. <laughs> and it's kind of funny how she just realizes that maybe he came to see me. And that's when she drops the ball. And this is so funny. I always read this as Joe's sexual awakening, together with the sequence in New York. Because obviously, she doesn't have these kind of feelings for Laurie, never in this book, or anyone else for that matter. But this is so funny when they, they head together and then they come up. Flushed and laughing and embarrassed. Yeah, I also laugh at the team very much. I also think it is very sweet because many people, I think, who read the book are probably thinking when they don't like the Joe and Friedrich pairing that they aren't romantic. But the thing is, for me, I guess Joe and Friedrich's romance is real life. Like, Meg and John and Amy and Laurie also are a bit more idealistic romance, but Joe and Friedrich are this real-life romance, as I put it. And I also think it is very cute that they bump heads together, because it kind of again showcases that they have a very good bond, because like they crash heads. Their bodies meet, kind of, and so do their hearts. This is also funny how she... In her mind, she calls him as my professor. But even when uh, Laurie proposed to Joe, was it a year or two years earlier? I think it was a year earlier, year and a half. Anyway, she still calls him my professor. Getting that she was actually in love with him, that is also very impactful. She just like is like, don't you dare abuse my professor or else I shall get mad. And when Laurie is like, marry me, marry me, if I don't, I will, if you don't, I will, if I kill myself, don't tell me you love that old man. He was already then her professor. And here again, how he would enjoy having such a man as my professor talk with every day. So he was always his, her, her professor. Yeah, it's always my boy. I think many people confuse the fact that on my professor, emphasis is on my, and for me, and on my boy, it's the emphasis is put on boy and not on my. I, I always imagined it to be that way because I think even in the sequels, Joe still, call, still calls him, I think, my boy, I'm not sure, but I think she does call him it. And I mean, that should make clear that the emphasis is on my boy. She still kind of sees Laurie as a boy for her and not as a man she could marry. Yes, it's always a boy and never a man. Not like my man or my husband. 
That's Friedrich. Laurie is always the boy. She sees him more as her child, even though Laurie is a couple months older. He's always her child. Yeah, that is true. And I love the way Joe acts around Friedrich because she's kind of a bit awkward, but also very proud. And I think it is very funny because I think I could imagine Louisa May Alcott also to be like that when she was around Henry David Thoreau. I don't know, I just, it, it always was like, maybe she's like that as well when she's around Thoreau. You don't know. But I always thought so. And I also have to say, I think it's very funny how Joe like, has to keep her eyes on this on her ball she is knitting because otherwise she will constantly look at Friedrich but when she does look at him it's like taking a fresh cup of tea or something because she gets refreshed and he, she even calls him handsome she has fallen in love with him somebody once told me or something it was like love beautifies a person or love makes you think that the person you fall in love with is the most beautiful person in the world you kind of do not see physical or general flaws. That is true. Yeah, she says, actually young and handsome. Like, he's kind of more mature than the rest of them, except for Mr. March, but, um, and Mrs. March, and Hannah, and Mr. Lawrence, but I think, other than that, I don't think he's older. I just think, like, losing his sister, Mina, and having to care for his nephews, I think, just made him grow up a bit faster than the others because, I mean, like, he and Joe have, like, around 15 years of each gap or something like that. And while it is a bit much, maybe, I don't think that there's a difference in how they feel and how they act and how they see the world. That was our discussion for today. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make good choices. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.